Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 1, verses 13 through 24. I hope that you will join with me there in your pew Bible or the one you brought from home, or if you're one of those Bible app people, on your Bible app. But let us hear the words of the Lord in Galatians. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my people of the same age, for I was more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors." But when the one who had set me apart before I was born called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and then afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said... The one who was formerly persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O almighty and gracious Lord, We gather here in this sanctuary on this holy ground once again during this time to worship and to praise you. And as we do so, O Lord, may your words be so clearly spoken that our hearts cannot help but hear them. May they be so clearly understood that we are transformed transformed by them so that our lives are different from having been together with you this hour. That in leaving this place, we would be not just hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So it was the Saturday after Easter, There was a young boy and his father. They had planned to do what they had been instructed, the homework that their preacher had given them the week before on Easter Sunday. They had planned to go out into the neighborhood on the Sunday after, on the Saturday after Easter and to knock on the doors and simply tell people, God loves you and you are so special. That's what they had planned to do. But on that Saturday, the weather had turned pretty crummy. It was cool, cold. It was dark, heavy, and raining. Father was really secretly hoping that his son didn't want to do it because he didn't want to go out either. 
But as the day drug on, finally the son's impatience got the better of him and he said, Dad, are we not going to go do what pastor said we were supposed to do? And the father, not wanting to stymie his son's zeal for his faith and his faith formation, said, absolutely, get your coat and we'll go out into the neighborhood. Now, while this discussion was happening, there was a woman in their neighborhood. Her husband had died some months earlier, way too young, way too soon. Lots of things left unsaid and undone in their married life. And she was having a terrible time of it. She was really struggling with what to do, and she finally, she was so lonely and grief-stricken that she just decided life wasn't worth carrying on. And this was the day. She decided that this was the day that she was going to just give up. And so she began making her preparations to just give up. And as she was beginning to finish those preparations, the doorbell rang. And she thought, for the love of Pete, who is caught ringing the door on a day like this? And the doorbell rang again. And the doorbell rang again. Outside that door was the young boy who was carrying out pastor's homework, if you will. And he was about to give up because the rain was pouring down. It was late in the day. It was essentially the next to last or the last house. And he thought, I'm just going to go pack it and go find dad and we'll go home. But something wouldn't let him leave. And he rang the doorbell once again. And then he decided to knock and to pound on the door. And the woman was agitated and she came down the stairs and she flung the door open. And she says, what? What? How can I help you? And the boy said, you can't. I just wanted you to know that God loves you and you are special. And with that, he turned on his heels and skipped down the steps into the puddles and into the rain and left her standing in the doorway with tears in her eyes. The next day, she went to the church in the neighborhood and she told this story to anyone and everyone that would listen. And these were her words. I don't know why he came to my house. And I don't know why I'm special. But I plan to spend the rest of my life learning why and telling others the same story. See, my friends, she had a chance encounter with the grace of God. She had a chance encounter with the grace of God, and it changed her whole life, and it changed the life of her church. See, that's this amazing thing about God's grace. It has the power to transform you and me and the world around us. And I keep thinking about grace because that's really what we're about. We are people of grace, people purveyors of God's grace. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to study grace. We're going to talk about it here and what the grace means and realize that it's the most wonderful gift for you and for me. But more importantly, it's a gift that the whole world needs. And that if we will be conduits of that grace, 
that the change that we need to see in the world around us here in the 21st century can be accomplished through grace. And as we begin to understand this idea of grace, there's no better textbook for it than Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul writes about grace and it exudes in this. And so we're going to pour over Galatians over the next few weeks. But let me tell you how this book begins. It begins with Paul's classic salutation. He says, grace and peace to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now friends, let me tell you, when he does that, he's not saying good morning. He's not just sort of throwing this out flippantly. He's not throwing it out emptily. I mean, just sort of sometimes we do this, right? If someone says good morning to you, you say what back? Good morning. If I were to say to you, the Lord be with you, you would say what? Right, we do this. We paired it back and forth. But folks, there is more to that than just a call and response. There are words. There's power in that sentence. The Lord be with you and also with you. There's power in that. So when Paul writes, the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, he is making a bold statement. Every letter he writes begins this way, but especially the church in Galatia, he is writing this to remind them without ceasing that Christ is a gospel of grace. That all of Christ's ministry is built on that and that we are called to seek and practice that grace in our lives. So as we look at the text that we just read today, there's two lessons that we can take away from that. The first lesson is that grace changes. No, that's too weak. Grace transforms our lives and transforms how we view the world. And the second is that once we find ourselves living in a state of grace, we never want to leave that place, that attitude. And thanks be to God for that gift. So as we begin to unpack the transforming power of grace, who better to understand that than the Apostle Paul? I mean, remember who he is. If we go all the way back to the book of Acts and we we uncover the works of the apostles, what do we remember? Paul is, he's a zealot. He is of of Judaism. He is like a Pharisee on steroids. He is seeking out Christians and persecuting them. He is trying to destroy this Christian movement Because Judaism is the rule of the day in his mind. And so he says in the text we read that he was so successful that he rose in rank even above his experience in years. He was feared. But then on the Damascus Road, what happens? The Lord strikes him down in a bright light and captures his attention. And by the grace of God, he begins to understand that he is loved and that he is special, and he converts. And so he is no longer Paul the Zealot, he is now Paul the Apostle. The great evangelism, the one who used to try to destroy churches, is now starting churches all across Asia Minor. He goes to the Jerusalem Council eventually, and he wrestles with the other apostles because they thought in order for Gentiles to become Christians, they had to go from Gentile to Jew to Christian. And Paul says, whoa, 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 we don't need to do that. We can just be followers. So he goes to wrestle with that. He is a practitioner of this grace. Grace changes his life. It changes his worldview. So as inheritors of this grace, we begin to think about what does it mean for us? 
as United Methodists, we sort of see grace. It's a, it's a simple word, but it's got so much depth to it. We understand grace sort of as having three expressions. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. And our text today helps us understand what these expressions, these visions of grace might look like. So in verse 15, Paul writes, But when the one who set me apart before I was born called me through grace. What he's talking about here is he's talking about this idea of prevenient grace. This is the grace that goes before us, that sort of paves the way for us, that speaks to hearts even before we know that God exists or how much God loves us. Grace is going ahead and beginning to open us up, in a sense, to the possibilities until we become aware that God exists and that God loves us, that God is pulling for us. See, Paul was not acting according to God's will for his life. He was, he was that zealot, that one that was crushing the church, and it was through that encounter on the Damascus Road that his eyes were opened, if you will, to show him the way. And it's that moment that Christ seeks him out. And that's the same thing with prevenient grace for you and for me, is that Christ is seeking us out throughout our lives. Whether we were reared in the church from the time as infants and baptized, what we do with infant baptism, that's prevenient grace at work. Even before the child knows Jesus loves me, the church is already bestowing that upon that child. The Holy Spirit, grace, is pouring out. So we begin to understand prevenient grace and we begin to understand that we know how special we are, how much God loves us. And then it begins to dawn on us that Christ died on the cross for us for you as an individual, for me as an individual. But then just as we begin to know that God is for us, we begin to realize that we want to do more with that relationship. We want to actually do more than just know this. We want to live into it. So that's where justifying grace enters into. It changes the way we live. It changes who we are. It changes what we want to do and how we want to be. We want to be more like the people God created us to be. And so it's through justifying grace that we try to make changes in our lives and we know that God's strength and guidance pours out over us as we begin to live in this right relationship with the one who loves us most. So in verse 16, Paul gives us an example that he said, to reveal his son so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. What Paul is saying is this moment is that this idea of grace, it changes who he is. It changes his life. It transforms him. And by God's strength, he's able to make all of these difficult changes. I mean, he's going to go back to his bosses, if you will, and say, you know what? Here's my two hours notice. I'm done. But now imagine if you've been known across the ancient world as the one that persecutes the church. Imagine how difficult it must be when he goes to knock on the door and says, let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, wait, who is this? Is this not Paul? And yet justifying grace gives him the strength to make that transition in his life to where he's restored in right relationship to God, to where he begins to see the world through God's eyes and tries to act in ways that would be pleasing to God in ways that he knows that God wants him to live and breathe and do. Let me tell you what that looks like for us, friends. 
It looks like for us this idea that we begin to realize as a fact, not a question, but as a fact that Christ died for me, then we can ask the question, how do I live a life that justifies that sacrifice? How do I need to transform my life? What do I need to change? What do I need to do that's different? What difference do I need to make in the way I live that it reflects God's love for me and the world? What is God calling me to do? And so we begin to wrestle with those questions. It's justifying grace that leads us not only to ask them, but to listen to the answers and to make the difficult changes that will come. What we know about sanctifying grace, what John Wesley said is that sanctifying grace is God's grace freely. It's given freely to people. It's the power to restore us to the fullness and the full depth of a relationship with God. It's going on to perfection, as John Wesley called it. It's where we begin to live our lives where we say, not my will, Lord, but thy will. Not my way, but your way. We begin to align our lives with the life and desire and the will of the one who loves us most. And we read about that at the very end of this passage, verses 23 and 24. We see the fruits of that when Paul says that the one who was formerly persecuting is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they, meaning the church, glorified God because of the change in Paul. Now, he wasn't boasting about himself at all. This could come across as very braggadocious, but that's not what Paul's doing. He's talking about this rejoice in the change, what has been wrought in his life, that sanctifying grace has changed him, and he's living closer the way God wants him to. For us, as we live in a sanctifying grace, it's only how God has changed our life, but we begin to only do what God wants us to do. We can only want to do the changes that build up the kingdom of God in the world around us. We only want to live those things. We only want to make those kinds of differences. Where we succeed only because we're doing what God's will is for us and for the world. We're constantly asked the question, what is God calling me to do? Where is God calling me to change? Where is God calling me to be in ministry? And we eagerly seek out those opportunities. See, in these moments where we're wrestling with prevenient and justifying and sanctifying grace, what we begin to realize is that God transforms us and transforms how we look at the world around us. And we begin to do and live and act in ways that God desires. But what we know about this is we begin to live in this idea of grace, the transformation that comes in our lives because of it. We realize that we live in a new reality. We are people that embrace and embraced by God's grace and we never want to go back. We never want to go back to who we were before this realization, before we began to change our lives. We don't want our old self to come back again. We want to be our new, remade, remodeled, renovated self we look at Paul again after that conversion on the road to Damascus he could never he didn't want to go back he could not unsee the change and the difference in his life think about it Paul could not unsee the error of his ways could he he could not unsee the sacred worth that God was holding him in he could not unsee that Christ died for him he could not unsee the calling upon his life 
See, that's the power of God's grace, my friends. Yes, it changes our life, but so much better so that we never want to go back. Our life is so much better once we've seen, witnessed, and owned that grace for us that we never want to be what we were before. It changes who we are and how we interact with the world around us when we're living in this state of grace. I think about a word that entered our lexicon about 2014. It's become part of just sort of the regular everyday sort of script, if you will, for political, social, and racial dialogue. It's that loaded word, woke. Now, I know that's loaded, as I said, but let's think about it. Let's take that word off of those dialogues and let's put it in a theological context. Because we are people of God, and I think that we should look at the world from a theological viewpoint along. What does God want? What are God's desires? So we put that word in kingdom terms, grace enters in, and so does the work of us, God's children. Remember, we can't unsee what we've been awakened to. So think about in our world around us, there's an emphasis in corporate structures and church and society all around to talk about things like diversity and sexual misconduct and anti-racism training. And what we as faithful people need to ask ourselves is why? Why is there such an emphasis on that? And when we begin to ask that question, not to sort of concoct our own answers, but to listen. And when we begin to listen, we begin to understand and our eyes are opened in a way that we can't shut them out again, but they're open to the issues and the concerns and the damage that the structures and policies and behaviors have caused to tear the human fabric of the kingdom of heaven. To tear the fabric of relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, the fabric and relationship between children of God and the damage that it's done to the kingdom. Or maybe we look at the emphasis on mental health and mental health concerns in our community and we ask that question, why? And when we ask that, our eyes are open to the struggles and the needs of people who are not living their best life, the life that God wants for them because of trauma and pain and grief, illness and depression. Or maybe we look at the plight of the poor and we wonder why is there such an emphasis on the plight of the poor and we ask that question why. I remember we're living in this state of grace so we ask the question why and we seek to understand the causes beyond just the flippant responses that we're so tempted to throw onto the table. And at that moment our eyes are opened. Our eyes are open to the struggle and the whole host of needs without which people of God cannot climb out of the cycle that they find themselves in. The hole is too deep to get out on their own that there needs to be some change in the world around us. See, friends, in each of those instances, just those three, those awakenings, if you will, where our eyes are opened, we see the needs of those around us and we are changed. We are transformed to want to help. We're transformed to want to make a difference. And friends, that's called grace. That's the grace of this gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when Paul says, the grace and peace of Christ be with you. That's what he's writing about. A grace that transforms the world that we see outside our window. Because we're changed within and we want to make a difference. To not look back and unsee, but to step into the breach, to make the change, to fix the problems, 
to lift each other up and to tell each other simply this, God loves you and you are special. See, that's what we heard last Sunday at Easter. God loves you and you are special. That you, the world, when we look at each other now, is that we are redeemable. That we are not lost causes, we are not basket cases, but that God can lift us up and hold us closely. But friends, let me tell you, in that moment that God is calling each of us, God is calling each of us, calling you and me, this congregation and all the world, to do something extraordinary with this gift of grace. Now, I don't know what God is calling you to do specifically. But as we search our hearts this week, let that gift of grace change our lives. Let that gift of grace help us learn the what it is that God is calling us to do. And in the words of that old hymn, let's put our hands to the plow and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No looking back. No looking back. Because we've received a gift of grace that's changed us irrevocably. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.